Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today, Danger from Within, with a message titled, The Danger from Within. So let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. Nations and empires, when they crumble and fall, are not normally destroyed from without. Of course, they do lose major battles and are often supplanted by some other army or empire that does defeat them. But long before that happens, something significant has been changing from within. The principles upon which that nation was built have been forgotten. The foundations have been abandoned, and that's why the entire structure eventually falls. This is not a lecture on the rise and fall of nations, although if it was, I think I'd be making the point that the law of entropy also applies to human civilizations. Eventually, all human institutions begin to show cracks and begin to crumble. Eventually, they all fall. I mean, where are the ancient empires today? Everything, you know, from the empire of the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, each had a period when they reached their ascendancy and then came that period of collapse. And in each of those cases, the collapse came from within. It's from within that they were being weakened, leaving them then unable to withstand the dangers from without. I'm making that point today that although the church of Jesus will never be defeated and lie in ruins as other cultures have, and yet the greatest threat we face is always from within. Look today at just one example. The Church of England, or as many know it as the Anglican Church, in England that church is collapsing not because of threats from without, but because of something that was happening and is happening within. Today we're going to identify what that thing is, not of the Church of England, but of the Church of Jesus in every nation where it's found. So we've been studying 2 Peter, and we're about to come to the theme of the letter. It's found in three short verses. So we begin to read 2 Peter 2, 1 to 3. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. You know, in the first chapter of 2 Peter, the chapter had been leading up to what we've just read today. It has been speaking first about the godliness of God's people, and then second, Peter ended chapter 1 by reminding the church they need to pay attention to the prophetic word, to to the scripture. The prophetic scriptures, Peter has argued, should be trusted at all times. It was the Holy Spirit that inspired the scriptures, and the Spirit also watches over the interpretation of what's written. And here's the truth upon which everything the church teaches and believes stands. Here is, in the scripture, the life of the church. Now then, in the first three verses that we've just read, Peter then gives us the importance of guarding the church from within. I think we could divide everything that Peter says here into three points. In the first point, Peter talks of the ever-present danger. And in the second point, Peter discusses the ever-present gullibility that's often there in the church. And then in the third point, Peter mentions the ever-present reality of the judgment of God. So let's take those three points one at a time and see what we'll notice. 
First, the ever-present danger from verse 1a. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. So let's start with a basic truth. But false prophets also arose among the people. You know, back in chapter 1, Peter was discussing the First Testament prophets that none of them spoke according to their own imagination or produced their work by their own ingenuity or will. Rather, it was the Holy Spirit who carried them along. But that doesn't mean that every supposed person who claimed to be a prophet had that experience. You see, false prophets arose, and that wasn't a shock because, while the First Testament repeatedly warns against false prophets. Just think about Moses' words in Deuteronomy 13:1-3. He said, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, Let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. See, this warning is the theological warning. It goes this way. Either God constantly contradicts himself or he doesn't. See, at Mount Sinai, as he gave the Ten Commandments, he said, you shall have no other gods before me. But now prophets were arising and they were saying, but we can learn a great deal from the gods of the Canaanites. And then these prophets did miracles. So what should you do? And the answer will have to be either God always speaks the truth or he contradicts himself. If you follow the false prophet, you'll obviously deny earlier revelation. There are plenty of other warnings of false prophets in the First Testament, and we're not going to have the time to look at all of them, but we can come to some conclusions. There were true and false prophets, and God wanted people to know how to distinguish between them. Now then, here's the contemporary warning. Just as there were false prophets then, so there are false teachers now. Now, many have wondered about Peter's wording here. False prophets in the past, false teachers in the present. Is Peter saying at least in his day, there were no no false prophets in the early church? Well, no, I think there were false prophets in the early church, but I think Peter is specifically drawing attention to people who don't claim to be prophets, but who do claim to teach. And I would imagine some of them claim to teach the scriptures. They may have been scripture twisters. And as we continue to read through the second chapter of Second Peter, we're going to find out exactly what it is that they were teaching. But the point behind all of this is rather simple. Peter is saying, look, nothing's ever changed. So many of the false prophets of the past led many of Israel to accept the worship of idols and false gods as well as to break all of God's laws. So also today, there are many false teachers who are doing exactly the same thing. See, nothing has changed. The ongoing threat against the church has always been this threat. People who claim to speak for God, but who lead God's people astray. People who pretend to be spiritual and who then lead people into a spirituality that both destroys their lives, but also destroys local churches and denominations, as well as the Christian movement in entire countries. The result is always the same. It's the destruction of the church. I do know that in some parts of the world, the Christian church has been reduced to a small part of what it has been before. But I would argue even in those places where persecution took a terrible toll, that persecution never defeated the church. But where false teaching and false teachers were allowed, it was always devastating. 
Sometimes not immediately, but always eventually. And so that's the alarm bell, but also the news that if this is going on, we need not think it's never happened before. I mean, this kind of thing has always happened. So let's move to Peter's second point, and it's the warning about the gullibility of so many within the church. Perhaps that's to be expected. People are taught to trust God in everything, and perhaps that, you know, that trusting nature simply carries over into trusting what any teacher says without doing the hard work of discernment. And then there are always those people who are going to say, look, we need to keep everything positive. Warning against false teachers, that seems so negative. You know, whatever the reasons are, the truth is, not only were there false teachers and false prophets in the past, but there were also gullible people in the past. Now, as we read through these few verses, we will, if we pay attention, see that Peter is giving us several, I'll say, five marks of false teachers. Let's look at the first one, verse 1b, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Did you notice that there is among false teachers, and this is common, Peter calls it secretly bringing in destructive heresies, and the key word is the word secret. Galatians 2.4, Paul says, false brothers secretly were brought in. Jude verse 4 says, for certain people have crept in unnoticed. I hope you get a theme here. You know, I've noticed that among false teachers, and please note this, they don't quickly tell you what they believe or where they're coming from. And they don't wear a hat that says false teacher either. They don't quickly tell you what they believe or the fundamental Christian doctrines they deny. It's only after they've been teaching for some time that they begin to slip in their destructive heresies. And by that time, many are taken in by the effectiveness of their communication style or how likable they are, how endearing they are. And so when the first bit of heresy passes by, the gullible readily slough it off. But the difference between them and the true teachers of the word is this. True teachers have a statement of faith and are rather obvious about what they teach and about what they believe. In our society, the topic of money is often regarded as taboo. However, God in His Word certainly doesn't keep quiet on the matter, and He's provided us with an abundance of financial direction. On that note, We're thrilled to offer you our newest resource, a short booklet called 10 Questions About Money Matters, based on Dr. John's audio series, God and Money. This booklet addresses 10 common money-related concerns from a biblical perspective, some insight to help better bring glory to God with our resources. Because we feel this topic is so important to your spiritual walk, we want to offer you this resource free for the whole month of August. Simply request your copy today, or if you'd like to offer a gift to support the ministry, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit us at backtothebible.ca. Notice the wording Peter uses. Peter says, they're teaching heresies. That word itself means opinion or variant. Think of it this way. The role of any Christian teacher is not to teach his or her opinion, rather it's to teach what is the intent of Scripture. Now I know that there have been disagreements over certain passages of Scripture, but the point is this. 
It's not the role of the true and faithful teacher to come up with his or her own opinions, but rather to so acquaint themselves with the scripture that when the faithful modern teacher teaches, it's as if the ancient prophet or apostle were himself teaching. But false teachers introduce their own opinions, their own variations, and in the end, what they teach is untrue. That is, it doesn't reflect the intentions of the original authors of Scripture. Peter's not done with the word heresy. He adds the adjective destructive. It's a destructive heresy. It always destroys, it ruins faith. It also, as we're going to see, ruins Christian morality. It leads people into unholy living. Their lives no longer reflect the gospel of Jesus. And then Peter adds, they deny the master who bought them. And stop and consider these men. The Greek word for deny means to say no. To whom are they saying no? The answer is to their master. It's a reference to Jesus. Jesus as Lord bought them as his slaves, and now they think they can refuse his commands. And by phrasing it as he does, Peter makes it clear that these false teachers were acceptable members of the church at one point in time. At one point in time, they appeared to be loyal followers of Jesus. So stop again and and ask the wider question. Were these people genuinely saved? And then at some point in time, did they say no to Christ? Because at least... Some understand this passage. It seems to indicate these people were actually born again, had eternal life, bought by the blood of Christ, and then lost their salvation. I don't think so. I think Wayne Grudem helps us here, and he thinks Peter is referring to Deuteronomy 32, verse 6. That passage says, Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is not he your father who created you, who made you and established you? So the wording for who created you, well, that can also be translated who bought you. See, just like ancient Israel thinks Grudem is the idea that God took possession of Israel, that he bought them from slavery, but now they need to respond in faith and obedience. In short, Grudem thinks that these false teachers were just like the false teachers in Israel who came along with the people of God under Moses but who continued to say no to God whenever he commanded them to trust and obey. And I think that makes good sense. This is very much like the parable that Jesus gave of the seed falling on four different kinds of soil. You know, the second and third kinds of soil, the soil that either produced thistles or the rocky soil. You see, in both of those cases, those people appeared to be growing in the faith, but there was something wrong about the soil from the very beginning. In the same way, these people that Peter speaks of were bought by their Lord to be among the community of God's people, but I'd argue they were never saved. And this played out as they began to be accepted and were allowed to teach. This is a very important point because it should remind us that we need always to hold our Bible teachers to account. Of course, no one will get everything right all the time, but these people are saying no to their Lord. That is, there are some who seem to submit to Christ, and then later they deny him and then are forever damned, and that's sobering. Now, notice the next thing that Peter tells us about these people, and we find that in verse 2a. And many will follow their sensuality. There's something wrong about their morality. And that word sensuality usually implies sexually licentious behavior. Later on in this chapter, Peter's going to mention the sensual conduct of Sodom and Gomorrah, Then in chapter 2, verse 14, he's going to mention that their eyes are full of adultery. 
And then verse 18, he's going to mention the sensual passions of the flesh. Now, some have argued that the word translated as sensuality, however, can also be translated as completely lacking in any moral restraint. You know, in that case, the word would include both sexual sin, but also a great number of other sins. Some have suggested that the word should be translated as shameful ways. But however we translate the word, clearly Peter is describing people who follow a lifestyle of licentiousness. They have no inner sense of restraint. And Peter is saying that what attracts people to false teachers is that they teach in such a way that people are encouraged to listen to their lower passions and act on them. Gone are the stern warnings of breaking God's moral law. In its place is the idea of a kind of freedom that allows the lower passions to come to the fore. Self-expression, they say, rather than purity and obedience. That kind of attitude is troubling because it's widely felt in today's church. People talk less today about Christian ethics and more about Christian freedom. And those who insist on standards of holiness are now often branded as legalists. Christianity, we're told, is not about do's and don'ts. See, I find that last statement troubling because it's undoubtedly true that we're not saved from our sins by following a list of do's and don'ts, but rather by confessing our sins, appealing to God through Christ for his mercy. It's decidedly, however, untrue that faith in Christ doesn't involve any do's and don'ts. Yeah, we are to pray and seek God. That's a do. And no, we must not commit adultery or worship other gods or dishonor your father and mother. That's a don't. There is a Christian lifestyle. There's a Christian code of ethics. The commands of God in Christ are not suggestions. You see, we're slaves of Christ whose lives are not our own. And so we've noticed, first, the secretive agenda of the false teachers, who are never clear about what they believe, and now we see their lack of objective morality. Notice also their popularity. Notice how Peter puts this in the beginning of verse 2. And many will follow their sensuality. That's the thing. Many will. The false teachers become popular. I mean, they wouldn't be a threat if they weren't. And notice then the phrase, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And that's to say that the gospel will have a tarnished reputation. And that's not hard to imagine, is it? All one has to do is to think about the sexual scandals that have haunted leadership in the church today. People, says Peter, will look at the lifestyle of the false teachers and they will speak against the gospel. How can the gospel be true if it produces those kind of leaders? Then one more item. It is to the motives of false teachers, verse 3. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. And the key word here is exploitation. You see, false teachers use their followers for a motive that's different from what is stated. You see, you can tell a true Christian leader because of the motivation of that leader. You see, the motivation is that individuals become true followers of Christ. They know how to to pray, to witness to their neighbor, show compassion and love to all, seek to glorify God in everything. See, good Christian leaders, that's their motivation. False teachers are different. With some, it's the fame that they want. With others, it's the money. Still others look for sexual trysts. And still others long for the power that they can wield over others. It's always exploitation. It's always using the other person for their own needs. So let's review where we've been. Peter has warned that false teachers have always been a problem. And then second, he's warned of the gullible and the nature of false teachers. 
Now, last of all, notice that Peter wants everyone to understand where all of this is going. What's the end of the matter? The end of verse 3. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. And it's this statement that takes us to the heart of 2 Peter. People will ask, says Peter, where is the promise of his second coming? People have been talking about this kind of thing that is the end of the world and the great judgment since time immemorial. And nothing like that ever happens. And so given that attitude, it's no wonder that the false teachers have no fear of contradicting Scripture and carrying on in sensuality. Nothing ever happens when people do that, they say. But Peter says their condemnation is not idle. He means it's simply not true that God is doing nothing. Judgment is coming, and it has been planned for a very long time. So Peter's not saying, look, you'll get yours in your lifetime. After all, the godless people of Noah's time got theirs in their lifetime. But that's not the point here. The point is that the times of judgment in history are a reminder that the final judgment will come. Judgment is not asleep. And so we return to the great danger within the church false teaching something so severe it can devastate a church or a denomination, even a Christian witness in a nation. If Christians don't take that threat seriously, immoral Christianity is going to spread. The gospel of Jesus will be lost, and the church in a given area will come to demise. Oh, how important to hold to what is true. Thanks for your message today, John. Can I ask you, maybe you could give us an example of what false teaching might look like today? Well, there are so many different varieties of false teaching, but you know, if I'm listening carefully to this word that we have in 2 Peter, I'm going to say that the false teaching in our day is self-focused rather than God-focused. Uh, and it's all about getting the things that you want out of your life now which really, you know, I'm going to say that's code. It's, it's code for living out your own fleshly desires rather than crucifying the flesh and living with unreserved abandonment for Christ. So, you know, that's, uh, I think the sign of a false teacher is, you know, you can have your best life now rather than, you know, give it all away and count on Christ's promise of being true in eternity. Thanks so much, John. And Remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Danger from Within, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. Here at Back to the Bible Canada, we're committed to the mission of providing excellence in Bible teaching you can trust in every medium possible. Both Bible teaching and engagement programs are available online through video, print, radio, podcast, mobile app, and CD. It's our prayer that anyone who tunes in will discover encouragement for their spiritual journey and insight for living through the study of the Bible. All of these resources are made possible through the faithful support of our listeners. It's your generous donations that allow the mission to be accomplished. So thank you for all you do. And remember, that if you want to receive our monthly gift this month, Dr. John's new booklet, 10 Questions About Money Matters, all you need to do is visit backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425. And thanks again for your generous support.